pillows after my uncle. Someday I'd heartily enjoy meeting your uncle Doodles. Oh, Doodles. Welcome, everyone. This is Dan. I'm your host, your main host, for Eventually Super Train, short-lived TV show podcast. We are a podcast that covers short-lived shows that never got enough love. Eventually, we will cover Super Train, but not today. So this is episode 98. As always, thanks for for being here. Thanks for listening. I hope hope all is well where you are. And this episode, we are going to begin. We're going to begin with Auto Man this time. Episode 9 of Auto Man. And then we are going to, well, Kristen Hawes, a.k.a. Kiki Wrights, will be joining me for that. Sorry, sorry, Kristen. Um, then we're we're going to On the Air, Episode 4. And then uh, Tim Turner is joining me for Episode 13 of Nero Wolf. Ooh, the penultimate episode of Nero Wolf, everyone. So, sit tight, take hold. It's eventually super train time. Uh, listen to a little bit of this, and uh, Kristen and I will be on the other side. Actually, I will. Then, Chris, Dad, don't worry about it. Just keep listening. Keep listening. Doodles. Auto Man, Episode 9, Murder MTV. Directed by Bruce Seth Green. Written by Douglas Hayes Jr. with Gordon Trueblood. March 12, 1984. In this one, there is a rockin' band named Sweet Kicks. And the lead singer is played by uh, Laura Branigan. She is... Well, when we first see them, they are um, rocking out uh, to a brand new tune. I believe they are playing Hot Night from the Ghostbusters soundtrack. I don't think Ghostbusters had come out yet at this time, so it was kind of a little warm-up, you know, for the um, eight people who saw this episode when it originally aired. But they played they play that song from the Ghostbusters soundtrack, and all of a sudden something goes wrong. Um, there's a little explosion, and the, the amps and stuff falls over, and worry, worry. Her dad, uh, Laura Brandon's character's dad, is the, um, is the manager of all of this and uh, the cops called in and Jack shows up and says you know it looks like this is maybe professionally done we're gonna send maybe a cop down here just to keep an eye on everything and the the, the dad's like okay whatever and so uh, Wally Wally Mr. Nebish Mr. Nebaker uh, is, is sent down there um, to uh, keep an eye on uh, the sweet kicks uh, Laura Brannigan's character and her two uh, backup singing gals and Auto Man of course shows up to help out too and Laura kind of goes yeah Auto Man he's looking good meanwhile the dad who has had some mob ties in the past goes to a mobster who owes him a favor and gets two goons to show up and sort of watch over everything and the episode progresses as you know Laura Brannigan's character and Auto Man start up a bit of a romance and Walter's trying to figure out what's going on and trying to stop the next thing from happening which may you know, hurt someone permanently, and the two goons are doing their thing, and the dad is getting more and more worried, and it may or may not have something to do with an incident at a show in Texas a week before, a month before, previously, you know, before this. 
I guess I'll kind of leave it there because because Chris and I go over it in pretty swell details. So let me give you give you a little blast, and I will be on the other side with the great Kiki Wrights, and we'll be discussing Murder MTV. Episode nine of Auto Man Murder MTV, still the show with the longest credit ish sequence ever. The, it takes over three minutes for the show. I mean, I don't think. Like, I think back in the 50s, like, when I Love Lucy and stuff would start off with, like, a commercial, and, you know, like, the sponsor would come out and say, ah, Lucky Strikes are fantastic, they're so smooth, ah, and you're watching I Love Lucy, and they do a mini commercial, and then the episode would begin, those things didn't take as long as it does to get to the start of an episode of Auto Man. They still do a lot of explaining, which isn't a bad thing, but I've started skipping it now, so if there's anything in those first three minutes that's different from episode nine on... I haven't seen it. Um, oh, one one thing before I introduce my very special guest. Uh, the previous episode was directed by Renegade One, was directed by Alan Barron, who has directed thousands of hours of television, but also directed the 19, it's early 1960s sort of gangstery hitman film, Blast of Silence, which I cannot recommend enough. It's an excellent film. It's also technically a Christmas film. So... You know, you may want to you may want to throw it on. Having said that, that was a tangent I saved from the last episode. I didn't want to over tangent, but this time I'm going to go nuts. No, I'm not, because I'm here with the great Kristen Hawes, and she's got a life. She can't sit here all day talking about Auto Man, or can she? Kristen, what's going on? I could probably cancel my plans to sit here all day and talk about Auto Man. I wouldn't mind. What? Yeah, it's well, you know, you get you get in the groove, and you just want to talk about it. So it's true. So what um what uh tell me your thoughts on Murder MTV. Um well, I have two good thoughts and that's it. First of all, we have Laura Branigan and I love her and she sang a lot in the episode and that was good. And at one point Automan played a guitar and that was good. And that concludes all of my good thoughts for this episode because I really didn't care for it. Oh, Interesting. Okay. Um, oh, um, well, well, I'll, I'll just give you my basic uh, thoughts on it, too. It was great seeing Laura Brandigan in it, doing some tunes. She does um, is it Hot Night or, or for the Ghostbusters soundtrack. I forget the name of the song now, um, and I should have written it down. Um, but this actually came out before Ghostbusters, so, so um, I don't, that doesn't mean anything. Um, but uh, she does that, and she does some Gloria, and then she does another song in the end, something Satisfaction-related. I'm, I'm, I wasn't as familiar with that one as the other ones. Um, but, yeah, she's great in it. And, yeah, um, uh, the the moment when Automan is on a – not a stage. They're on steps in front of a mansion playing with – is it Sweet Kicks? Is that the name of the band? Yeah, I think, I think so. But not, a, not a good band name, sorry. Um, and and Automan is wailing away on the guitar and, and – um, and uh, and Walter runs up and says, Otto, what are you doing? Come on, we got to go. What are you doing? I'm rocking, man. And it's just awesome. It's awesome. Um, the the episode itself is a lot like the previous one. It's about someone who should calm down and wait, calling in extra help to help out with something. In the previous one, it was bikers who were a lot of fun. In this one, it's a couple of... Forgive me, it's a couple of mooks, it's a couple of gangsters, uh, and it's uh, it's like and they're they're pretty generic, and there's it's it's a tricky episode because Laura Brannigan is so charming, and Automan is so charming with her as they develop a bit of a romance, 
and it's great to hear her singing, but all sort of the storyline and everything for me never when it when when they actually get to the point where they start to explain what's happening, I could have cared less. I couldn't have cared less. How what could I have done? Couldn't I have cared less or could I? You could not have. I could not have cared less. There was um, no there was no cares left. There was no I nothing left. And it it was weird because I, I, what did you, what did you what did you think on the length of this episode? Did you think this one felt long or or I actually have it in my notes. It says, "Why is this episode still happening?" Mm. And that was about maybe two thirds of the way through the episode wow. that I wrote that down. Okay, it felt like an eternity. It's it's and it, not it, in a good way. It ain't it ain't paced so great, folks. I don't I don't know what it is. It doesn't have um. You know, it's like the previous one, just just to the point where you get to um, where you get to the thought where uh, you get you get to the point in Renegade Run where you're like, okay, what's it gonna do here? And then the biker gang shows up. And it's like like an injection of like, all oh, right, excellent. This one, and you, you get you get sold early on when Billy Drago's Chico character says, "I called up my gang; they're gonna be here soon." And this one, the moment the guy, the head guy, who I want to say his name Sam Cole, but I could just be making that up, calls, goes and meets with this gangster, and he sends like two, the two thugs over. It's um, it's underwhelming, and it never, and for some reason the thugs don't really amount to much, which is weird. Um, they kind of show up and then. They get, pardon me, they get killed, and they never quite. It's it's a weird it's a weird plot line um, because it doesn't it kind of doesn't need to be there, and it just is there to sort of take up space, and but it's not particularly good space. Um, I I. I know what 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 were some of the other things that bothered you about this one because I, I don't want to go too negative but you feel free to you're the guest. <laughs> well, it's just they played like two music videos. They played the same song like all the way through twice, and yet there was still so much episode. It just <laughs> yes, that's right. They they do at least like there are at least like three musical numbers, uh, including uh, well a f- sort of a mini fourth one at the end, and yet there's so much episode. There's so much episode. And it's just, I mean, some of it is, I don't want to say like the whole thing is bad. It's just that, because it has its moments. Um, I absolutely loved that Walter gets assigned to be the security guard because the captain says that he had nobody left to spare. But, and I said, who, who am I, who's not doing anything? <laughs> yes. He takes Walter. Yes. I love that. And that the two backup ladies, um, who probably have names, and I probably wrote them down, but I'm not looking right now. Um, <laughs> they they are all over Walter. They think he's adorable, and mm-hmm. you know they're they're you know slobbering all over him. And then Auto Man walks up, and Laura Branigan falls in love immediately. Yes. And that's I think that's a cute moment. I think the idea of those guys doing security for them are cute. It's a cute thing. Um, mm-hmm. But there's just so much about it that this episode and that annoys me. But the, but well, there, there's one more other good part I should point out, and that's um, Albert Paulson plays the mob guy that they get the two goons from, the higher yes. goons, mm-hmm. and I love him. Um, he's I I enjoy him and everything he's in. He's he always does. He takes whatever he's given. Like in this case, he's just a standard mob guy yeah. basically, but he injects a kind of flavor into it. 
So this mob guy is very likable because uh, Jesse Cole's dad there, who has a name. What is his name? Sid, I think. Yes, I think so. But he, but you know, he took a fall for him, and so he's he's a very. Uh, very thankful for that, and he's actually very happy that he can loan out these goons for him to help him with his problem. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I found him very nice. And then when at the end, when the goons get knocked off, and and Sid goes back to him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm kind of done helping you because I just lost two of my employees. Yes, I'm gonna have to pay out on the funerals there, and there's probably life insurance benefits and whatnot. There's just a whole lot of paperwork that just happened yeah. because <laughs> yes. of this." Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I, I I liked that part of it, but then it's just the the whole plot with the blackmailer it's tough. and it's, everything. Yeah. And the blackmailer sounds like he's like seventeen and should yeah. be getting like I don't know macheted at a summer camp somewhere yes, that he's working exactly. as a counselor. Because yeah. I can't take, I cannot take the blackmailer seriously because he he does not sound threatening at all. He does sound yeah. a little maniacal, but he doesn't really sound that threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, they, they... and he says, "I was there that night in Texas," and I'm like, "Ooh, this is getting interesting." <laughs> and then it turned out it really wasn't that interesting. Yeah, and in in in, in fact, there are there. I don't know if it's it's the the script is a bit muddled, or it was trying to misdirect. But there, there, it could have been what was happening could have been presented in a much cleaner and clearer way. I think. Yeah, they were kind of going. I know they were kind of going for a bit of a mystery, like yes. Oh, why is why is this happening? And it just it fell so flat. It just it's, didn't work. It's one of those things where, if you can imagine, like like one of those. Um, I'm tr- I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. I I watched something recently. Yeah, where someone gets unmasked, and the person is standing there in front of them. They get unmasked, and they go, um, "Oh my gosh, it's it's who are you?" <laughs> and 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 that's a, what is that from? I just saw that in, in a movie or something just recently. Um, uh, and I. It's going to come to me later, but but that's almost sort of the thing is when um, he um, w- when he takes off his. I thought for a split second she was going to say something like, "Who are you?" Um, <laughs> but she says something like, "Oh my gosh, you're you're Seth Dominion, the sound guy." It's like, "Yes, I am." And I thought, did I not just watch the first forty minutes of this episode? Who is this guy? And it's it's, it's yes, it's, thank it's, you. Okay, there's no. It's 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 tricky because. It's if they had just tried to not make it a mystery, and just just done it with some sort of reveal or you know, just just something like I'm the madman who's after doing that, you know, or something. But it's just like the way they try so hard to make it a mystery, and it's never interesting. And it's it's a lot more fun to watch Auto Man kiss Laura Branigan than it is to to watch all this chicanery, which sadly goes nowhere and i mean they're occasional they're oh and we will talk about the ending with what they do with auto man right near the ending which i can't figure out is a good idea or a bad idea um but but what what else do you have on this one and feel free to if you if you've got if you if you're troubled by it let it out <laughs> well you brought up the that actually is a good point with the blackmailer because i actually when i watched the episode again before we recorded I actually went and like was trying to watch the music video part 
at the beginning to see if I could pick this dude out, and I don't think I ever saw him. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm like, if maybe had I seen him, and I grant, mm-hmm. granted I probably wasn't paying as close attention as I should have because <laughs> I was not thrilled with this episode, but like if I had seen him, maybe that would have been better. If you mm-hmm. really want to go for a twist, you could have said he. All he could have said was like, "I was there that night in Texas," and you find out that it was the guy that her dad supposedly killed, but he yes. actually survived. He's alive, and now he's blackmailing him. That would have been way more interesting. Yeah, a little more horror movie-ish, but still much more interesting than we get the sound guy or the amp guy who is bitter because you're not paying your employees enough, mm-hmm. and he is dissatisfied in his job. Yes, and it's 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 funny. I always thought, like, you know, when I think of, like, you know, my day jobs and stuff, you know, random accounting, time I worked at a call center, things like that, those to me are jobs you get dissatisfied with. If you're, like, a sound engineer or a sound technician on, like, a big music video, you would think that's, that's not something you fall into. You know, that's no. what, you don't call up the temp agency and suddenly they call up and say, oh, we have a job at Laura Brannigan's next music video. No, that, that's, that doesn't happen. You know, they say we got a job filing down at the bank for you. That's that's the kind of thing they say. So so I would think if you got to the point where you were a sound engineer or technician, that would be something you like doing. And well, maybe he's crazy, I guess. But but it's just it's one of those things where it's like I need more money and da da. Well, you know, if what's the next step? You know, is is, is are you working towards whatever the next step here is? Or and I I don't know. It just it's um. It, I, I I applaud them trying to give him the you know this guy's just kind of mad and wants to blackmail but it's not um it's not satisfying it's it's not a satisfying it's it's not a satisfying um end to forty minutes of just okay auto man yeah no it's it's not it's it's so lackluster it just that's kind of yeah it really is it just it's not the payoff you're hoping for especially when you start off with a rock and music video you expect something really cool to happen yes and except you know all i ended up with was 80s nostalgia remembering the glory days of music videos that don't (laughs) exist anymore yes exactly and and really that mixed with uh auto man wailing away on the guitar for about two minutes um that's about that's about all we get in this episode. I I'm, I'm trying to think of another positive thing to say about it. Um, the um, um, um oh. the car chase ain't bad. There's a car chase. If you like a car, a car chase, chase, it's not bad. It's not bad. That's, oh, with with Jack. Yes, with Jack. And, yeah. And the the goons. Uh huh. That's that not was, a bad car that was chase. Fun. And and Jack gets like um one of those um uh, bandages you know that you uh, like put over like stitches or su- you know uh, suture or something or other like and it's like right on his eyeball or something. <laughs> Did that not bother you it when was, you it saw was that? An, it was awkward. It was an awkward placement. Yeah, for it's, it's like that. It's it's like right on like the uh, you know if you touch your eyeball right now, everyone, everyone reach, touch your eyeball. And then go up a little, you know that the um, you know the, the 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 bone directly above your eyeball. It's sort of like stuck onto that, but like when he opens and closes his eyes, it moves a bit. So there's a point where he's kind of lying down, and it looks like they they like bandaged his, you know, stuck his eye closed or something like that. It looks a little weird. I just kept, and the thing about it was that like if you wanna pick, I mean, I guess if they had like 
put one of those little things like on the front of his pants or something that might have been more distracting but just that just like it was i was had such a tough time with that scene because they're trying to explain some stuff there's some exposition going on and i just sat there the whole time going is jack's eye okay what's going on it's too distracting put it on the forehead so we can see it and go okay he got hurt but it's it's um you know sometimes the makeup and costume people get a little go a little overboard i wanted my work to be seen in that episode because there's really not much else going on i want everyone to notice yes exactly. and we did um uh so i i guess um uh do you, do you want to do you want to talk about laura brannigan real quick or how um were you a fan or i am a fan i want to mention one more thing about jack though Oh, Before we move on to Laura, because there's plenty of good to talk about about Laura, but Jack didn't have, we didn't see as much Jack in this mm-hmm. episode, um, but what we did see was quite good because he's sent to basically stake out the place, and so he ends up going with the goons on a chase. The yes. goons make him wreck his car. They pull him out because his car is sideways. They pull him out. They punch him, knock him out, and then find out he's a cop, and they're like, oh, sorry, pal, and walk off. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry like, about that, pal. Rude. Oh, it made me think there's an episode. Well, there's probably more than one episode, but there's an episode of Gunsmoke I watched that poor Festus got accused of something, and these people were like mobbed up. They were going to hang him. Like he was on the horse with the noose around his neck, and Marshall Dillon rides up at the very last minute, and they're like, oh, our bad. They didn't even apologize to him. That's oh. what this kind of made me think of. Is That's like, the worst, yeah. You wrecked his car. <laughs> You punched him in the head. He's probably got a concussion now, and all you can say is, "Oh yeah, sorry about that." Yeah, that's those those. They're not the. They're not. I don't think he sent his best goons. No. To be honest, I think I think these are these are probably the sort of goons you see in like um um like in I want to say like Mean Streets or what films am I thinking of? What's the one with uh, my thumbs, Charlie? He cut off my thumbs. You know, sort of those goons, like second-rate goons yeah. who um. Who are uh, like maybe one time they were big, but now they've fallen by the wayside, and now they need to prove themselves again. So they've been sent, and th- there is a weird moment though where um, it doesn't one of the goons say something like, "Well, if you want this done, that's going to cost a lot of money." Yeah. But then later on, the the head mob guy says this was a favor. He was paying. He was paying. Uh, you know, uh, paying back a favor. Yeah. So I thought, what? So this? So it was like, it, so it's one of those things where it's like, well, you you did me this favor, and now I'm doing you a favor. But the favor runs out, and there's like three hundred bucks extra you're gonna have to pay. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like it doesn't it isn't quite. You didn't. It doesn't cover everything. Yeah, the favors, you know. Is this like the basic favor package, and then yes, like exactly. there are add-ons, and you have to pay yes, for exactly. those? Exactly. It's like the concierge kind of looked at it, and he was like, "The, the favors aren't even, you know, on the scale. So you're gonna, you are gonna owe two fifty when this is done. Sorry about that. <laughs> Unless the goons die, then we renegotiate. Yeah. And the goons do do die fairly spectacularly, spectacularly. Yes. Which is which is actually a pretty, uh, not harrowing, but kind of a stark sort of rather violent scene. It yeah. For, for Auto Man especially, it's quite violent because one guy goes off the cliff. What? Yeah. Does he? I guess he gets shot and falls out of the car as it's moving. I don't know, but he does fall. Yes, out of the that's car. what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Other car goes over the cliff and it bursts into flames because this is the '80s and every car just automatically exploded. 
And then he, the bad guy walks up and, like, with his automatic there and shoots that guy again. And you're like, dang! Yeah, a bunch of, yeah. And they cut away. It's a wow. Let, before we have our, our Brannigan talk, or, or we go on a Brannigent. Is that the word? Is that, is that right? The Brannigan. Um, yeah. uh, I, I just want to talk, again, one of the ways you can enjoy the episode is focus on Auto Man. Because, again, he always seems to be in a slightly different episode than everyone else. He doesn't seem... He rarely has the concept of this is go- not going to work out right. He always he always has a look... It's sort of... It's, it's not quite... It's it's an innocent in a way. Um, but when you watch him, especially like when he's watching Laura and her band playing, and he's kind of like moving a little, yeah, yeah, and he's looking at her and smiling, and he's like, he's having a great time regardless of, of the threats and regardless of people getting beaten up and all this stuff, he's having a good time. And, you know, as I said, I'm rocking out, man. And he's rocking out. So I just, the, what did you think of the way the, 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 the thing that kind of makes sense that they dealt with in the previous episode very quickly off screen, but here it's dealt with in a slightly different way. And that is um, him having to power up right at the climax I I thought that was kind of interesting that they would take him out of the game at the most important part. Like, mm-hmm. it was a bit of a swerve in that. Um, because, you well, you expected Automan to save the day, mm-hmm. obviously. And so it actually kind of gave Wally a, a, the opportunity to do more of the hero work because Jack goes with Sid to make the exchange because again we're in the 80s we have those big nice roomy cars where you can fit yes. a whole human on the floorboard and no one can see them <laughs> yeah. and they go to do the to the do the exchange and Jack rolls out and shoots at the guy and then Wally pulls up and he does some hand to hand combat with the guy and Auto Man really has no part in that mm-hmm. he just goes he shows up at the very last minute and goes and finds Laura Branigan Yes. And I kind of like that it gave Wally the opportunity to be something of the hero for a yes. change. That that is nice. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, you know, I I what I actually thought was going to happen was there is a scene. So he gets the the bad guy Seth Dominion. What did I call him? I don't remember his name. Um, I, I didn't. It's Sam Clementine. Sam, I did write it down. Sam, I, I thought I wrote down San Clemente. Okay, San Clementine. <laughs> Um, so San Clementine has a bit of a shootout with Jack and then he runs to his motorcycle and he goes to get on it and then um, Walter appears and kind of makes him have to fall off the, he almost hits him with his car and, but what I thought was actually going to happen because um, Auto Man hadn't been there and Wally Walter couldn't get in touch with him I thought what was going to happen was that Sam was going to jump on the motorcycle take off and it's like, he's getting away, he's getting away. And then all of a sudden the motorcycle was going to start to act weird because it was like it was the auto cycle. And while oh. he was in the shootout, Cursor and Auto Man showed up and built the auto cycle around his cycle. So suddenly they get control of him and they're just like, I can't, I can't control it, I can't control it. And then like suddenly you, you cut to like, um, like the front of the police station. 
and like maybe the chief is walking out and all of a sudden this motorcycle pulls up in front of there. This guy's like, I can't control it. I can't control it. It's like, and, and they're like, they, that's the guy. Get him. You know, it's like he drives him to the police station. You know, like the way like Spider-Man used to hang guys in webbing from like the lights outside a police station. You know, he would have. And, and I just thought that would have been a fun ending. If it's like, where are you taking me? What's going on? I can't control the right into the middle of like 20 cop cars or something like that. I thought that's what, for a split second, I thought that's what was going to happen. I, I'm glad they gave Walter more to do. I kind of like my idea, though. Maybe they could use that in a later season. Yeah. I like your idea, too, but it's too good for this episode. It, it kind of is. It, it, um, cause that's kind of, that's what I thought they were doing because they left him out and they left him out and they left them out. I thought they were going to have some kind of zing. Actually, cause they kind of do because when he shows up, yeah, he goes right for Laura Branigan, who he's been kissing. Yes. And to to be honest, in the midst of all this, in the midst of all this dumb shenaniganery going on, if I'd been kissing Laura Branigan most of the time and she'd been making goo-goo eyes at me, I'd be heading right for her, too. So I cannot. Can't fault Otto. He's learning. He's learning. No. Can't, As no, we, can't blame him at all. As we live, so we learn, you know, and, um, so let, let's, let's do a little, let's talk a little bit about Laura Branigan and then any background and then we'll, we'll wrap this one up. Okay. Um, Laura Branigan's absolutely adorable. Some, mm-hmm. you know how, you know, some musicians, singers, they do the acting thing and it's, it doesn't translate so well from making music videos. She's yes. actually super cute in this whole episode. I absolutely mm-hmm. adore her. And we got multiple <laughs> musical numbers. It's like a Branig win. That should sound <laughs> out better, but. <laughs> We we did practice these words, these Brannigan related words before, folks. <laughs> yeah, but no, I I absolutely adored her in this this episode when she says when she sees Auto Man and she looks at her backup singers and she's like, "Catch me if I drop." I just I love that I love that line <laughs> and I love the way she did it. And I I love too I when um when he's Waylon doing the guitar solo, um and and she's like right up to him like dancing along with him and and it's like it's so and it, it even when like there, there's a moment where she talks with her dad and she has like a pullover sweater or something on she's even adorable in that too you know when she she tones down the um the rock and roll garb and just gets in a nice little sweater yeah. and just just hangs out you know she's um yeah she's i think she's she's very good in this and the, the songs are fun and um uh and 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 you know it's sad when it ends you know that they're not going to have Laura Branigan on again. She got, pardon me, she's got shit to do. You know, she can't, you know, she's not going to become a regular on Auto Man. Um, (laughs) Maybe if the show had gone on for two or three years, she would have come back. Um, um, She she, could have been like the leather uh, Tuscadero of of Auto Man. She could have come back a couple times a season and just been there and hung out with Auto Man. They could have kissed a bunch. I thought when he kissed her, like their sparks were going to fly or something. But it just looks like a regular kiss. No, it's a regular kiss. Okay, I thought I thought I just thought maybe that was the thing. Like you know, when he kisses, it does that. But um, that, I like this. And she seemed to enjoy the kiss, so I'm gonna argue. Yeah. Um. It, yeah, it was good enough without the sparks, apparently. Yes. Yes. Um. And uh. Yeah. So yeah, she she's quite she's quite charming in it, and um, and uh, and it's funny like. You know, we, 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 you know, we haven't known Auto Man that long, but if Auto Man's going to fall for someone, you know, I want it, I want it to be, you know, I want to, I want to approve, you know, and I approved of, uh, was it Delta Burke a few episodes ago? 
Yes. And I approve of Laura, Laura Branigan in this episode. Yes. I can't. Uh, he's got. He's. I mean, I've just. I just watched him in a scene right here. He. He's hunky. <laughs> and she's adorable. So that's that's a fun couple. And Wally's slightly flustered and nonplussed throughout. So that's that's Auto Man. That's going to be. Maybe it stops being a cop show and becomes like a wacky romantic comedy type thing or something. I don't know. That's season two. <laughs> season definitely, definitely. Um. So. Uh, so yeah. So let's. Um. Do, do you have anything else on this? Any background or anything? Well, I have one more complaint, and then I'll do a couple, a little bit of background. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> my, my one last complaint because um so this party that they play at which we get like the full song for first of all jesse's dad confesses to her what happened in texas and terribly upsets her and then he's like everything will be all right now let's go play at this party <laughs> and yeah which is like okay and <laughs> then they so they do the song do they do they do i think it's gloria isn't that like the they do Gloria. Yeah. You see the last part yeah. of Gloria, they're performing. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, her dad gets this phone call that the guitarist is sick and can't make it. And I'm just like, but they were just playing the music. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't understand. How does this work? And then, so they need the guitar player. So Auto Man comes up. He plays the guitar, does a beautiful job because he's Auto Man and he's fabulous. And his course, guitar was super cool. And Walter pulls him away in the middle of the song, and I'm like, "But who's playing the guitar? I don't <laughs> yes, I heard how that. any of this works." I thought I thought it was probably cursor, just like um, sort of uh, continuing the 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 song, cursor or some somehow so, somehow conti- just 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 uh, pulling the you know without you know like um a guitar facade, you know, just playing the th- th- yeah, because no one seems bothered by no. it, so. They don't even notice he's gone. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. You you would think because they were just sort of rocking with him right yeah. there. You would have think like, yeah, yeah. Nope, he's – yeah, yeah. I, I thought that myself. And then I thought, well, you know, I don't know. It's a, This is a this is auto man's world. We only live in it. Yeah, true. We don't, we, we don't fully understand all of the rules. Mm-hmm. Maybe we will in the next – Three episodes, uh, four episodes, probably not. Oh well. No. Um. Okay, so I just have a little bit of background, aside from like everybody apparently being in episodes of Manimal, because multiple people were. Um. One of the backup singers, uh, Joanne, is played by Ola Ray, and you might know her because she was the woman in Michael Jackson's Thriller video. Oh, I thought I recognized her. Yes. So this is probably that, that thriller video probably got her this job. They're like, "Hey, you already have music video experiences. Well, this is going to be multiple music videos. So come, <laughs> please. please, do the thing." Wow. And I did not know that. if you look quick, when they're, I think it's when they're leaving the party, the valet there is uh, Miguel. Nunez Jr. Oh yes, oh yes. Best known probably as Spider in Return of the Living Dead and Demon in Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. Yeah. This is actually his very first credit listed on IMDb. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, I saw him for a brief moment. I was like, "Wait a minute, what?" I just, I just see him those damn burritos and just <laughs> running for the outhouse. <laughs> Ooh, baby. Yes. 
Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. See, he should have had a bigger role because he went on to do a wonderful duet before being murdered in an outhouse. So yes, exactly. He, had, exactly. he also had the talent. Yes, yes. He was he was great. The moment I saw him, I was like, oh, that's cool. Oh, wow, yeah. Because I just rewatched Return of the Living Dead like a week ago. So oh, I forgot he was in this. Hell, why did I forget that? That's awesome. Yes, so that's all I've got. Thank you. Um. So, uh, yeah, I guess that that's Murder MTV. Not our favorite. I I maybe liked it just a little more than you did, but just maybe a little bit. Because even by by the time we hit the last 15 minutes, I was like thinking, wow, we're still going, huh? (laughs) Gosh. I guess guess this would have been an episode that I would have welcomed commercial breaks. Yeah. Um... So that's, yeah, that's Murder MTV. That is episode nine of, of Manwell. We got four left, three that aired on the network, one that didn't. So we get one of those fun, rare, um, well, not always so rare, because um, On the Air has four of them. Um, uh, those didn't air on the network episodes that we're lucky to have a copy of. Um, so I, I guess we'll, we'll wrap this up. Kristen, where can, where can we find you? On, I was trying to think of a Brannigan I could throw in, but I could. I did. I did say to. I did say to Kristen earlier today, let's not Brannigan this one. I don't know what I meant by that because we like her, and that made it sound like a like a begin again Brannigan. Brannigan, begin again. <laughs> I know. I'm trying. I love the name, and I'm just trying. I'm working with it. Um. So 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 Kristen Kristen Brannigan, where can we find you online? You can find me at my blog KikiWritesAbout.com. There you will find the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast, which I just talked about Albert Paulson in a season oh, two wow. episode not too long ago. So you should go back and listen to that. You'll see how much I enjoy him. And yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to f- listen, if you want my uh, thoughts on Albert Paulson in real time, you can follow me on Twitter at Kiki Writes. Excellent. Thank you so much again. Um, and yeah, next up is. I don't know what's up next. Uh, something great, I bet. A great episode of... Wait a minute, give me a second. I can tell you what's up next. The next episode is Murder, Take One. I'm guessing it's set in a film set of some kind, or a TV show set, but I'm... I'm willing I'm to gonna, put money on that. I'm not going to want it too far afield at this moment. And that's two episodes with murder in it in a row. What is this? Murder. Is this canon? Is this this uh, this Beretta? What is this? I don't get this. Um, uh, so so we're gonna we're, we're hopefully hopefully we will like Murder Take One more than we did Murder MTV. Although I don't think there's a brand against sighting in Murder Take One. No. So, so um, that was uh, that was Auto Man. And um, take a deep breath, everyone, because I think we are about to go back on the air. Episode 4. This one is uh, directed by Jonathan Sanger, 
written by Scott Frost and is one of the episodes that never aired on the network. So the other ones aired in 92. I think this may have had a copyright in 92 at the end of it, but yeah, never aired on the, uh, on the, um, on an American network. And in this one, uh, well, you've already heard doodles. You've already heard mention of doodles earlier on, uh, in this episode. Well, we're bringing on a, uh, friend of Lester's, an old, old, uh, gentleman of the stage named Stan Tailings, who we will introduce in a moment. And Betty is there with a bunch of ducks. They're, they're doing a sequence called The Dream, where Lester is supposed to shoot a duck out of the sky. And they have like a special effects box, which has, which has two doors on it, one and many. And one, I think, has doodles in it, or supposed to, and then many is just filled with like stuffed ducks and, and some other ducks. And, um, I, I think um, Doodles is Betty's duck, uh, and uh, she's kind of leading him around uh, the place, the studio, showing showing him everything that's going on there. We meet the Cinco Quartet, which is five um, mariachi players, none of whom speak English, so they get on well with um, David Lander's character, Mr. Gotchik. And uh, Ruth, of course, as always, is, is saving the day over and uh, over again. And we'll meet, let, me, let me play you. Stan Tailings is a very um, pompous actor and there's there's kind of a kind of a joke in here um we you, you'll hear um i forget is it ben finch i forget i forget what the um the character's name is i think you'll hear i think it's bert shine comes in and talks to him and says you know you're much smaller on screen and i think if i'm getting this correctly because there are a couple moments regarding the Taylor's character that i'm a little vague about but you see there's a there's a movie called an almost innocent man which he had a big scene in where he's playing a guy who's going to an electric chair and they're going to recreate it here with Lester going to the electric chair. And you see this tiny guy, like in this cage from this old black and white film. And then when you see um, uh, Stan uh, Tailings there, um, he's this kind of big guy. And so that's you'll hear dialogue about that in a moment. A sudden uh, spurt of growth. Uh, but let, let me play you this. This is uh, introducing uh, Mr. Tailings to the gang. I give you Stan Tailings. The magic of cinema. It's Ah, the actors have come hither, my lord. Hamlet. I hope to know all of you as this night unfolds. For it is. No, no, Mr. Tellings, no. Bertshine, you're probably sick of people asking you this, but you look so much less on screen. The residue lad of one of the trifling tragedies that dot my theatrical career. In this instance, a wet staircase, a mistimed gong, and an industrial vice that produced a sudden spurt in growth at the tender age of 42. I believe Lester has a few words. Friends. Oh, Stan. From one who has cut his eye teeth on the stage to another who has truly graced it, let me say, welcome, Stan. Welcome. Welcome to the big world of the small screen and to our loving... Yeah, so Mr. Tailings has has trouble with coughing, and 
I can't tell those other noises he's making. Forgive me. Is he farting? Is that what that is? I'm a, I'm a little vague on what those noises are. They all kind of look at him strangely as these just noises fly out of him. I think, to, to be honest, they're just like, you, you heard some of the, the boing, doink, you know, and all the all the sound effects are exaggerated. So this could, could just be an exaggerated something or other coming out of him i don't know but um but yeah so he he does some gross things uh, gargles things and eats lots of raw eggs and has a lobster bib on covered with mess and and there's huge he's he they bring him a huge bag of salt shorty brings him a huge bag of salt so he's doing something or other to um i, I don't know to to keep his voice going anyway there's a brief uh, sequence where they um, they rehearse the 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 the, uh, the the dream sequence. Let me, let me actually play you some of that um, with Lester sort of sitting on this faux um, outdoors set where he's hunting and he's got the dogs. It snaps the dog. I forget sitting next to him and everyone's watching. We're kind of going through a scene and Betty's on like a like almost like a porch swing that gets lowered from the sky and she's dressed as an angel. So this is the rehearsal. You are hunting a dream. You are hunting. I'm hunted. You are having a dream that you're hunting. Thank you, Ruth. Your shit. Fine. Watch up. You shoot. Bang. I shoot. Bang. A duck feels from the ski. The duck falls from its ski. And the duck falls from the sky. And that it drops to the earth like a wounded Unshot. You shot at a wide angle. And Betty drifts to earth like a wounded angel. <whistles> Mr. Gutchin. Mm-hmm. Yes, Betty. If I was an angel, wouldn't I already be dead to be in heaven? But if I was wounded, wouldn't that mean that I wasn't dead and I wasn't in heaven? So I wouldn't have wings to be in the air in the first place to get shot. Shut up! Why don't you go back to Iowa? You big farmer! You big egg yolk! <laughs> So yeah, and and you know, as you might imagine, when it comes time to do the show, everything goes wrong. Let me play you a little burst here from from the dream. Uh, and Lester is um, sitting in a little lawn chair with the dog, and they're kind of—I think the dog has a pipe in his mouth—and they're staring at the space, and they're waiting for Shorty to drop the. Um, he does have a pipe in his mouth. They're waiting for Shorty to drop the um, the duck out of the thing, but Shorty accidentally winds up on the porch swing thing with Betty, which is kind of taken up into the air. And um, you're going to hear some noises and things. And suffice it to say, um, a lot of ducks get dropped on Lester. You might hear him yell out an alarm. And when the angel Betty is lowered in this scene, Shorty has like Betty's handkerchief over his face. And so they're trying to pretend like he's not on the porch swing with her. But uh, listen to this. This is this is how the dream goes wrong. Why is Shorty with the angel? Help me. Shot me from the sky. Who's that? Who? Here. Oh. 
He's my friend. He's from heaven, but today he's having his wings waxed. Get her out of there! And obviously things just get worse from there. When they get to the almost innocent man uh, sequence, uh, Mr. Tailings has lots of trouble. Uh, a dog, the dog is giving him trouble, and Bud Waller comes out of the uh, booth to try to assist, uh, help the help out. And um, there's some wacky um, like electricians on the set who rig up two switches. Uh, one one is labeled, you know, more or less like this one's okay to be used during the electric chair sequence, I guess. And then one is labeled don't touch this one. You high voltage and of course the little signs blow away and Nicole ends up electrocuting uh, Lester and Lester ends up singing a merry song as, as dogs bark as lights are flashing and, and Nicole starts to yell Lester's name and the episode ends it's I mean this is this is another one this is this is this is more like the first episode than the last one was I I, I mentioned that I thought the the third one was kind of um, uh, a good one to do because it's as a quiz show it's much calmer you're not going to have ducks falling out of the sky and all sorts of the craziness that you get on the on the quiz show that you would with this but this 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 does a pretty good job of of doing uh, uh, another variation of what the first one did i when i watch the first three i'm still trying to figure out exactly what this show sort of is up to what exactly it's doing and I think my problem has been that with the first episode being directed by David Lynch and co-written by David Lynch with Mark Frost, I expected it to be very a Lynchian, if that's a word. And that's sort of what that is kind of can change from movie to movie of his and from this to that and all kinds of weird things might happen. So, so I keep watching these, trying to spot like what about them is would be the super um, sort of David Lynch portions of this now this episode i would say the david lynch bit is right at the end you know could you see that uh, frost and lynch um productions that electrical thing at the end of every episode you see at the end of the twin peaks episodes too and it's 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 i think i mentioned too it's at the end of the twin peaks episode it's like it wore it it fits in but here it feels kind of slightly out of place because the episodes are so goofball um but at the very end of this one with lester kind of electrocuted and like up in the rafters the catwalks of the studio singing singing something or other i'm not 100 percent sure what song he's singing but he's singing it very vaguely and it's weird and then the lights are flashing on and off and like blue lights and regular blue lights and regular blue and and with with nicole screaming and the dog barking it's it's really that is one of the most lynchian moments we've had so far um and with like a lot of lynchian moments you watch it you're not quite sure what it means you watch it again you're still not quite sure what it means. You watch it again, maybe you're still not sure what it means. I mean, unless this, unless the premise of the show is that this is Lester Guy in hell going through this, you know, and he's just, just reliving these things over and over and over again. And I do have to apologize. Um, I, I didn't realize, I sat there for the first three episodes being kind of like looking at Nicole and being, Kim McGuire, where do I know her? Where do I know her? She was a crybaby. She was hatchet face. I could forgive me. I completely. I sat. I sat. I'm sitting there looking at her in this episode, going, "Huh?" What? Because Hatchet Face obviously was 
kind of a rough John Watersy character. In this, her character, Nicole, is always, like, dressed very nicely. You know, she, she screams a lot. She's getting more and more strident as the um, shows go on. And, um, but that's, I guess, part of the point. But she, she's much, uh, she's much, she's much better dressed here and much more sophisticated to a point. Um, although I do wonder, she's, she's said to be, I don't think they've said it yet, but Wikipedia says this. And, um, they say, I think later on, I don't think she said it yet. I think she says it, uh, in, a, in an episode or two, or maybe, maybe I missed it where she says that she's the head of comedy for the network. So I wonder, I mean, I know she's kind of having a thing with Lester Guy, but she's always hanging around. Why would the head of comedy be here for the Lester Guy show? It's clearly not a comedy. I mean, what we've seen hasn't been a comedy. They're trying deathly, to be deathly serious, but always it's always coming out of comedy. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe we'll learn by the end of the episode seven. Maybe it doesn't, doesn't matter. So this again, you know, the it's it's funny. Like the Lester Guy show already seems to be a show that stinks to high heaven, and I guess the the craziness that goes on in it makes it um, worthwhile. Am I am I right in thinking that we don't see a lot of the public in this one, do we? As in the last one and the first one, we saw the public a lot as they were watching it. I don't know. Do we get a shot of the public watching in this one? I didn't see one. But uh, regardless, um, it's you know it's still Lester Guy's still going to be the talk of the town for the craziness and Betty as always. I mean Betty has a couple of moments where she's worried about Doodles and and as she should the um, the uh, the uh, the grips there they they do electrocute Doodles and then immediately eat him, um, which is very funny. And and at that moment when they eat him, I suddenly realized. The best way I should, the way I should have been watching this show is not like a David Lynch kind of thing where I'm trying to piece together stuff. I should be watching it like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Think of it like Lester, like is like Sylvester or Wiley Coyote or so, who's constantly coming up with these schemes to try to get best Betty, but can't because Betty's sort of this innocent who just walks through the center of it and is almost remains completely untouched by everything that um, happens around her. And Lester just keep get, keeps getting clocked in the head over and over again. And this one, he gets electrocuted. He gets hit in the head twice. He, he gets electrocuted. He's in a He's in a bad way, and this is just going to happen to him over and over again. Innocent Betty is just going to stroll through it, mostly confused. I mean, she says her lines when she needs to, but Betty just looks mainly confused by what's going on. I think the moment where the electricians electrocute Doodles, you see Doodles sitting in the electric chair. They're trying out the switches to see which one is the strong one and which one is the is the weaker current one. They throw the switches and electrocute the, the duck and immediately cuts to the dog looking at the duck who's now like a roast duck with a bow on it, on the chair. And then it immediately cuts to Betty rounding a corner, walking up to the two of them and saying, have you seen Doodles? And um, as they she says this to them um they are sitting there eating roast duck with a bow on it which i thought was very funny i'm like of course it's looney to look, look at the way look at the way lester's singing in the end like after he gets electrocuted he's singing like um you know like after you know like uh I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think like elmer fudd or yosemite or someone maybe after daffy duck or, or porky pig i think porky pig would break into song occasionally when he would have been severely wounded you know just just the, think of it as a looney tunes and then I think it's um I think it works a, a little better at least for me. Now, granted, the first time I watched this episode, I did it didn't really do much for me. And by the time the actual like dream, I was gonna say the garden again, the dream portion began, I was slightly bored. The second time through, however, and this may be the downfall of the show, like Police Squad, it requires you to pay attention 
And then this one, I think, requires you to watch a second time because there's so much going on and there's so much happening. You miss a lot of great moments. Like there's a moment where Bud Waller is in front of the camera reading off the script. They're, they're, they're trying to finish the scene with the, the, the almost innocent man scene. And then it cuts to Gutchick and um, the um, Marvin Kaplan's character. And they both like have nooses around their neck like they're being hung. And then it just cuts away. And you never respond. You never, you never hear from that again. As, as with the previous episode, there is a heck of a lot that goes on here and i think you could be forgiven for the first time watching it through getting not lost but possibly overwhelmed in what's happening because everyone gets a bit of something to do some more than others and it it really is like the the because i have now i have not watched five six and seven but i have gone back and rewatched one two and three and i will tell you the show gets better with repeated viewings unfortunately that's not really the way this works i get i get two i give it two watches individual episodes i don't go back to the beginning and see sort of stuff accumulate and things like that but i can i can also see yeah, having watched it that this would be this would have been something that could, should have been on cable i think if it would have been on like hbo or, or cinemax or something um or the movie channel uh it would have been i think it could have run for longer no, maybe a bit been a bit crazier uh, as it is it's just it's just it's just wonderful um and it's it's really it's really i'm really enjoying it more and more as i watch i mean it is it is crazy and it doesn't rest and things happen and and you you have to be paying attention because if you miss something you could be if you if you turn away i mean you you could you could literally miss I mean, like, like for for example, like if you turn away and you miss them throwing the switch, and then showing the uh, duck being roasted, that's like ten seconds. If you turn away for that ten seconds, you might be confused where the hell the doodles go. You know, and if you if you miss this, like the if you miss the name of the quartet, the cinco quartet, you might not get the joke right there. There's just a lot of stuff going on, and and like the joke with the really tiny guy being Mr. Tailings there, um, who is much larger and a much much bigger, and he mentions the spurt of growth. There's a lot going on here, that if there were a laugh track, it could it could maybe point some things, but but it's it's alternately more subtle because it's not pointing out the jokes, and less subtle because there's so much yelling and crazy and and just all this that and the other thing going on. Um, there's really, there's really not a lot to talk about um, with the episode. It's, it's, it's kind of the same thing as the previous ones. You know, they, they brought on uh, Mr. Tailings there to kind of improve the, the quality uh, of stuff, but they don't know that he's, that he's making all these odd noises and having trouble like paying attention. And of course, you should have known the moment they were going to bring him on, something like that would be happening. You know, and Betty's, Betty's just kind of doing her thing, worrying about, you know, her, her duck named Doodles. I guess it's her duck. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, there, there's so much happening in the episode. I mean, I could I should make a list of all the, the Hurry Up twins show up again, of course. And, jeez. Uh, you do get stuff with uh, the two guys, the um, the sound guy and um, the guy. He's not blind, is it? I forget. It's me, 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 Mickey, Mickey and Blinky. Um and you do you do get some stuff with them where they sort of play the um, the wrong music at one point because they can't understand what Mr. Gotchik is saying. Yeah, there's just a lot. Of, I'm I'm going to stop talking about it right now. I think I think this is an episode that. Um, yeah, the second viewing really grabbed me on it. I'm interested to... I'm, I, I can't wait till I get to the end of the series so I can go back and watch the entire series having seen everything because it's really it's really starting to grab me. Once I... Like I said, treat it as a Looney Tune. Treat it as just absolute craziness. And not, not quite like um, Not quite like a Zucker Abrams Zucker parody because... Um, 
I I mean it's it's obviously parroting bad television and and things like that. But think of it more like a Looney Tunes than than Zucker Zucker style parody. Yeah, whether or not you know the show ever would have had like actual characters or anything, or just these sort of caricatures running around, caricatures running around. I I couldn't say, but um, yeah, this is. I mean, again, like Police Squad, the first episode might still be the best one because it's like the most distilled craziness. However, by the time you get to this point, if you've been watching it, not on the network, obviously, but if you've been watching it somewhere, maybe on video like I have, you would be four episodes in, and you, you know the characters, and you know what they were up to. So this might not, not be as sharp as the first episode, but by this point, you know the characters, so you don't have to learn who is that, what's going on, what's happening here, and you can, you can kind of catch the moments and, and kind of roll with it a little easier which makes it uh, easier to view. So um, let me wrap it up here. And uh, doodles, doodles. Um, you think, is there anything else to say? Not really. I guess the only other thing to say is my favorite character, I love Betty, but my favorite character is fast becoming Ruth. Look at look at everything Ruth does in this episode. She's incredible. And she probably, my, my two favorite, there are a lot of great moments in this episode. My two favorite moments are um, that doodles moment you heard with, um, his name is Doodles. After my uncle, you know that that moment, then Lester's response, um, which I which I just love. But then the other moment is um, one that you can't see, which is when Ruth is um, shoved in front of Mr. Tailings to call out rehearsal because he's going to begin an anecdote, and just sort of like the look on her face as she has a big smile trying to get close to him, and you see Bud Waller like keeps pushing her in the back, and finally gives her a big push, and she's a rehearsal, everyone, and she's great. Ruth is Ruth is awesome. So I will leave it there, and we're gonna go on. Now to a little Nero Wolf. Tim uh, Turner is back. Actually, he was here last time. I said, you know, yeah, get excited. He's back. Come on, he's a good guy. Uh, so we are going to head into, uh, let me give you a little burst of the Nero Wolf theme, and then we'll be discussing the penultimate episode of Nero Wolf. Episode 13, The Blue Ribbon Hostage, penultimate episode, aired May 5th, 1981. Uh, let's see, directed by Ron Satloff, written by Dick Nelson. In this one, it begins with someone breaking into the brownstone, stealing a prize-winning, very rare orchid. Wolf is outraged. The guy shows up the next day who stole the orchid. I, for I forget his name because his name rhymes with garbage. Barbage? As this guy shows up, kind of this chintzy, kind of third-rate crook kind of guy, who says that um, he was involved in the theft of a million dollars worth of heirloom jewelry from a wealthy couple, and he was the like the secondary um, uh, getaway guy, where he kind of sat in it, sat nearby with a van with the doors open, and the guy who stole the the jewelry is in a motorcycle and he drives up into the truck and they shut the truck and drive away. You see, if you ever seen the IT crowd uh, our episode, are we not men? That has that where Roy has to drive the guys up into the truck, 
um, and it's very funny. Um, but but he's and and the guy who uh, the motorcycle guy was killed, and so now they're sort of after him for uh, that. And and Wolf wants to find out who it was who killed this guy and what's going on and why they're after him. This that and the other thing. And and Wolf agrees because he's more or less being blackmailed with the orchid. And so Archie begins to investigate uh, what's going on. And he goes to the home of the rich people and he meets the snooty rich guy who who's very snooty and his wife who's much younger. And then the insurance guy who's uh, possibly suspicious looking. Then he goes to a home, the home of the, the apartment of the motorcycle guy and he's is very Italian very sort of um, uh, his wife and three sort of goombas sitting around the table eating a lot of ziti and, and Michael Pataki is there and then you know you meet um Mr. Garbage's wife, uh, who's estranged from, and there's all sorts of things going on, all sorts of characters, and we're kind of learning who who arranged the robbery, what's happening, who killed the one guy, this that and the other. I'm not going to say any more. Because I think we cover this one pretty much in detail, but that, that's sort of what it, what it is. And trying to get the orchid back, and trying to find out what's going on, and trying to get the jewelry too. So there's stuff going on. That's that's the episode, the Blue Ribbon Hostage. Uh, let's 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 uh, listen a little blast of music, and Tim and myself are on the other side. Here we go, folks. The penultimate episode. I think I've already said that two or three times. Uh, the penultimate episode of Nero Wolf. The Blue Ribbon Hostage. Here we go, here we go. And, as always, I have my good friend, Mr. Tim S. Turner, standing by. Sir, how are you? Uh, I am on pins and needles to discuss the Blue Ribbon Hostage. Uh, so, so let's, um, let's, uh, well, let's dive in. What, what, did you, what did you think of this one? Well, you know what, um... I, I thought this was like a little better than average for this for this run. You had a great cast. Uh, it, it's funny how we we've, we've discussed this before, but there it seems like there's there's some episodes where you're like I have no idea who anyone is in this. Other than Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and this one you got Barry Nelson, and mm-hmm. I, I assume fresh off his stint in The Shining. Although God, he looks so much older. Mm-hmm, yes. Uh, than he did in The Shining. Um, and Michael Bataki, of course, great B movie veteran, and Tiger or Tigar. Or... Anyway, um, <laughs> you know it, it, it's interesting. A lot of these, um, other than the one that they uh, we discussed with uh, was it Gambit with Darren yes, McGavin. Yes, these latter ones, unlike the earlier ones, which I think kind of try to rely rely a little more on the novels. The, the latter ones really feel kind of like more like standard 80s cop show fodder, you know? I don't disagree, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I think a lot of it does have to do with, I mean, like like tonight's episode is uh, was written by Dick Nelson, and this is a guy that wrote, like, you know, for Murder, She Wrote, Jake and the Fat Man, another Conrad show, uh, TJ Hooker, Chips, Freebie and the Bean, and Bar- Barnaby Jones. So, mm. I mean, he's kind of, he's got a, a, a groove that he's in. Yes, yeah. Uh, TV cop shows, pretty much, you know. I, my, yeah, I, 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 I think I more or less agree with you here. I thought I liked the con, the con, the the conceit, the concept, the the opening with someone breaking into Wolf's brownstone and stealing the orchid to kind of blackmail them uh, into helping him, Mr. Garbage or whatever right. his name was there. Um, yes. <laughs> and um, I, I like that concept. 
because it's kind of a fun way to begin it because you know asking questions right at the start and um although the, there is that moment where um and and i i i i i i I know what they're doing, but there was just something where it was like, you know, in Gambit, when Archie is trying to sneak out the window in the greenhouse. Now, I know there's a guy, they think there might be a guy with a gun trained on him, but when he's looking out yes. the window, he's like looking around, like the first thing he does is he looks straight down, you know, as if he's going to be Spider-Manning down the side of the building or something like that. Yeah. But but this guy, and when we see him later on, he's a much smaller guy, he's much older than Archie, but he like smashes the glass and goes right out on that ledge. You oh know, yeah, so, he's he's Cirque du Soleil in that bitch. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and it's it's like you see that and you think, I thought that was a tricky. I thought that was something tricky about that. I guess not. Maybe it's a different part of the greenhouse. <laughs> it could it could be. Maybe it's the maybe it's the back of the house. Maybe because we saw the. I front. mean, honestly, it did kind of look like the same location, but whatever. It does look like the same location. <laughs> I th- I think it is the same spot there because it's um. It's like when you enter the greenhouse, like way in the back where like the sink is and everything like that, and then you move yeah. towards the front. I think that's where they tried to get out in Gambit, and that's where the guy breaks through. Here, I think. Uh, don't don't quote me on that. But it, but it was just funny. Like the moment I saw the guy go through the greenhouse, I thought, isn't that tricky to do? And then when you see who does it, you're like, <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> I guess I guess we're about to forget that. Um, uh, it, it's 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 an interesting episode. I like the comparisons between sort of the different groups of like it's it's tricky because you in in sort of cop show rather than mystery show fashion you can't kind of call all the secondary characters suspects and they kind of should be in a mystery but mm-hmm. but it's sort of like you know the guy who steals the orchid right off the bat i i never thought he was a suspect and his wife who i loved she's not a suspect and then, like when no. they go to Mike, Michael Pataki's place, filled with all the you know the goombas eating the eating the ziti, um, they're <laughs> you know they're they're um they I I didn't think they were suspects either. Maybe possibly Michael Pataki for a moment, but the other guys were just too dumb. You know, so so no. <laughs> let's be honest. Let's be honest. As soon as our killer showed his face, you knew that was him, right? Yes, I did. Yes, that's that's the tricky thing with it. Was it was kind of like, oh, it's that guy in the background, you know, yeah, he's not yeah. doing anything and he's very yeah. quiet and yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, like, oh. I mean, I'm so bad at that. I'm usually so bad at guessing. But and when you can guess, you're like, okay, and you think, okay, so maybe they're doing something different. You know, if the um, if the uh, if if the if the um, the 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 killer, the bad guy, is so obvious, maybe there's something else going on. But then when you get to the end of it, nope. They just resolve it the way they do all the other episodes, and you sit there expecting a twist. But right. The, but the main twist is how much information Wolf gives out that wasn't stuff that we saw previously. That's kind of the big twist. Is yes. You know, I mean, there is. They do one thing that I really like, and I won't say what it is, but Archie goes to the rich couple's apartment twice. And the rich couple argues twice, and there's something in the arguments that's actually a point that Wolf uses. And I actually like that. I thought that was a nice bit of deduction, because I didn't quite see it the first time I watched it. Then the second time you see it and go, ah, that's clever. But then there are other parts part, parts where it's like, you know, like the, the, the bad guy at one point is on a motorcycle, and they're talking about the killer, you know, who they think might be the killer. And, well, this person wouldn't ride a motorcycle. Well, right before you all came here, I had Saul go out and do a little background check. And this person does this, that, this, that, and this. So they probably ride a motorcycle, too. And I thought, where'd that come from? 
shouldn't you should yeah. we have should we have a little more because the guys because the the oh geez that well it's 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 not. It's not going to. Well, we'll probably reveal who did the killing. Is I mean, it's 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 not really. It ends like it's a murder mystery, but it's not like it's structured more in a slightly confusing way with lots and lots of characters and lots and lots of names and lots of oh we're going here to recover the money and we need this finder's fee and the, the wife is getting beaten up and there are these goons running around and there's all this stuff and it's all kind of like it's 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 an episode that I really liked at the start. But by the time it got to the final scene in in the in the drawing room, the study there, um, it kind of lost me a bit, um, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Because it's because it, I, I just don't think it's it's not a good it's not a good mystery. It's a it's a decent episode of whatever it is, but it's not a good mystery. Yeah, I, I think I think it's about three quarters of a good episode, mm-hmm. and I I think the. The the final act is where it kind of falls apart because it it does have you know you've seen um you've seen murder by death I assume oh of course yes yes and of course you've got that scene with Lionel Twain talking about how like you know like basically reading the riot act to all the detectives it's like you're pulling out clues mm-hmm. that you don't share with the audience. Uh, you know that kind of thing, and that's immediately the first thing that came to my mind is like, well, what's he, yeah. what's Wolf talking about? Yes. We don't know anything about that. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, it was just completely out of left field. Uh, you know, this this episode it seems like it spends the entire time setting up suspects that as soon as you meet them, you know they're not guilty. Yes. <laughs> you know Michael Pitzak is not guilty. Half of half of them aren't in the room in the end. So when they arrive at the room, there's five people they're talking to, and two of them you know already aren't guilty. Mr. Right. Mr. Garbage, they're the thief, and his wife. You know they're not guilty. So that just leaves the other three. And the um, the super rich guy is so sort of foppish. You can't. I mean, he's he so clearly wants to be Oscar Wilde, you know, but and he's not. Um, he's you you can't imagine him doing something like this so it kind of like cuts the suspects down to two maybe kind of one and it's it's i mean they they yeah. they, they they try their best but like you said you can you can kind of spot the person from a mile off and um yeah it's 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 tricky i i, I really think that in abandoning sort of the novels and the short stories as a basis they just lost they lost the sort of the, the murder mystery thing that we need. We we need there needs to be some. I mean, like I said, you know, and like you said, we meet so many people, and they're either like just not kind of suspects really, or they're obviously not whoever it was who did it. And it makes for yeah, when you get to it's if there was a way I could I would have allowed myself to stop the episode right before the end the final scene maybe I got up to the final scene and then just stopped it and said I think I already know who did it I don't need to see the rest maybe it would have been a <laughs> really great episode but as it is it just it just kind of builds and builds to a dud or a real dud of an ending and you have to I, I think you have to ask too or you, you don't have to ask Tim you don't have to do anything you don't want to do that's <laughs> that's in his contract folks I, I think it comes down to something like say like you know, you know I love Columbo you love Columbo um, oh yes, but but there are Columbo episodes, and I'm, I'm specifically like the '70s ones because I, I haven't wandered too far into the uh, like the '90s and beyond ones. But wisely, the, um, yeah, the, the '70s ones, you will you will get an episode that is like 
for for example, not no no, we're not going to argue Columbo here. I'm just going to tell you <laughs> my thought. And and uh, <laughs> but for example, like an episode I really get a kick out of is Dagger of the Mind, where they go to England. Mm-hmm. But Richard I think Basehart. yes, I think the ending on that is a dud. Um, it, oh, it, it is. It's a complete flop. Yes. Yeah, it's and one of the things I I used to say with like Columbo, you either get kind of like um, you either get like the ending that I would call like the zing, and the zing would be like. Um, uh, the greenhouse jungle with Ray Moland, or with the uh, I'm not gonna uh, you know mm-hmm. you, you know the end you you know the ending suitable for or, framing suitable for framing the ending with the the one with um uh Robert Culp as the sports manager guy in the right. in the in the sports box and and then you get these oh the, of course the one with the um the surveillance guy the one with Gina Rollins that's probably the ultimate version of uh, the playback same. yes yes because you you Columbo walks in a room. And basic, and the killer's like, you don't have me. I'm not doing his accent. You don't. You're not going to catch me, Columbo. <laughs> and Columbo's like, no, just wait a minute. Columbo pops in a tape and hits play, and it's just something like. And the same thing happens with the Robert Culp one. You kind of sit there going, okay, what's he? What's he doing? What are we looking at? What's going? And you're like, you become as nervous as the killer, looking around, kind of like, yeah. what? Are, what are we going? <laughs> and then the moment you see it, it's like, oh, nice. Zing, and then there are Columbo endings which are a little, which are satisfying but are, are a little weirder, like the um, Murder by the Book, the ending of that one. That isn't really a, like a zing at the end of that. It's kind of more of a lucky break, but it's so sort of clever that I yeah. go with it. And then there are the ones where he just plain kind of like fudges it, and Dagger of the Mind is one of those. Well, he also kind of like does some things that are you know. <laughs> what yeah. would be considered unethical, like a yeah. uh, negative reaction, where he kind of like oh, he, sure, he yeah. flips flips the picture mm-hmm. uh, for Dick Van Dyke, so he mm-hmm. kind of like incriminates himself. Yes, um, but it's still incredibly satisfying. <laughs> yes, it is very, very. Whenever he catches Robert Culp, it's always a good. Time. But I think the thing with like Dagger of the Mind is you you get to the ending, and it almost becomes like a thing with like a murder mystery. Like if you spend a day, a couple of days, reading like a Poirot novel. And then you get to the mm-hmm. ending, and the ending is completely unsatisfying, but you've enjoyed the book up to that point. Is that a good mystery, <laughs> or does it fail? And and that's the sort of thing, like Dagger of the Mind. I love the episode up until like the last ten minutes or so, and then it duds out on me. But it's a 90-minute episode, so does that is that make it a, a an inferior episode just because it has a bad closing five or ten minutes? I mean, there are plenty of, like, with this, like, with this Nero Wolf, like, I think it's pretty darn good, Apart from a moment here, or there up until the ending. So does that make it a dud of an episode, or 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 thumbs halfway up, or I'm not sure. Well, you know, I think this is one of those ones that maybe could have been a longer episode because mm. it really felt like okay, we're going to introduce eight characters and we're going to give a scene to each one, mm-hmm. and then oh, now it's time to resolve everything. Yes, <laughs> you know, and then they throw in like you know uh, the the wife. Uh, Barbage's wife getting beaten up, and yes. uh, which, by the way, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, her name, the actress's name, is Bobby Jordan. She was a really wonderful character. She, she's probably my favorite character in there. Yeah, you know, I really she, liked her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and she loved this this schlubby loser. <laughs> yeah, the sh- you know, Amelia. Yeah, yep. Who was, yeah. you know, you know. I mean, how many times has this guy been in jail uh-huh. and everything? But she still sees the good in him, and I thought yeah. that was kind of a sweet little relationship that they kind of gave some resolution to at the end, yes. which I thought was nice. And honestly, at the very beginning of the episode, when the guy first came in and he says, 
uh, you know, it's me, Morty Bobbage, like garbage. <laughs> and I, as soon as he said that, I, I was, I was like, oh god, I gotta talk to Dan about this part. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's they really do a nice. They they actually, it's it's weird because those two, they get some really nice, quiet moments together, in yeah. an episode and and are possibly the best moments in the episode. Especially like I love the scene where she's in the bedroom in Wolf's house, and the two of them are talking, and he's kind mm-hmm. of doing that thing where he's like, you know, what am I gonna do? You know, being nice doesn't help. I got to do this, and I got and she just you can tell. You know, she she just loves him and she just wants him to have a little confidence in himself. Maybe take a correspondence course, become a barber, do something. Just just get out there. Yeah. You know, just don't do what you've been doing. And it's it's really you can tell you can see the years they've had together, and you can sort of see the experiences they've been through, and you can see you can see why it is is, is she loves him for like the potential that she believes is there. And it could be. Um, uh, certainly he can drive a van well. I think it said earlier on that he does like some, you know, he's that, yeah. um, the, uh, the, what do they call him? The relay getaway driver. And, yes. And, uh, but, but those, and it's, it's interesting with those scenes too, because there's a lot of sort of time spent on those scenes and a lot of time spent with her. But the weird thing, of course, being is that sort of at the end of the day, and I guess it's I guess it's red herring in some respects because at the end of the day, really nothing, uh, none of that has anything to do with what's going on. That's kind of almost the side thing because they think he, the Mr. Burb- Mr. Garbage or whatever, he did it, and his <laughs> wife might, but they didn't have anything to do with it, and it's all over on the other side. Which means that what what ends up happening is they don't spend that much time, which means you don't spend as much time as you should with sort of the people who are sort of implicated in it. You just get a few brief scenes with them. And they have to really quickly, like you said, be like, dun, 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 it's him or her. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, because you know know it's not going to be Michael Pataki and it's not going to be any of his uh, three Sonny Corleone clones. (laughs) I mean, honestly, they all look the same. They've all got the, the dark fro... You know, like yeah. Solly, Leon, and Carmine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. and it's not going to be them because they're just they're just you know random goons. And mm-hmm. who else is left? <laughs> yes, who else is left? The three rich people are the only ones left. And like I said, the the super um, the, the 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 main rich guy, he just doesn't look like he'd do something like that. Unless he, the the thing is that it it's it's funny because I was watching thinking, so could it be that guy? The kind of jerky super rich guy could it be him but they never actually do anything with his character like to intimate that like maybe he was having some money troubles or something you know and maybe that's right. why the money. There, there's never any intimation of that so you think that when you get to the final scene if it is him they're gonna have to pull something crazy out of their hat for it to be him yeah yeah, I, the first time you meet him, you you meet him, you meet his wife, and you meet his. I guess who is it? Is his accountant? It's like the guy who works for the insurance company, right? Yeah, the insurance guy. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you see him, you're like, I, I was watching it, uh, and I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, they're having an affair. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and yeah, there's nothing they really do that gives it away, but it's just like, what's the point of his character? Because yes. like the wife's looking kind of guilty, mm. and she's very. Uh, very cowed, you know. Mm-hmm, she's yes. very quiet and like mousy. And then there's, you know, the guy with that that sweet perm, um, <laughs> you know, feathered in his his mm-hmm. uh, giant shades, you know. And he's like, 
uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's right. Uh, I'll, I'll be out back with the insurance papers to be signed. <laughs> it's like, yeah, gee, uh, what other purpose does this guy serve, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, I, it's it's just it, it's a shame because I do think that this could have been more of a ninety minute episode instead of an yes. hour because mm-hmm. I think if they had had you've got all these characters if they had more time to flesh some things out then maybe it would have been a little harder to pick out who the killer was otherwise mm-hmm. there's really not enough even and for all the suspects there are there's really only two suspects yes yeah yeah you know that are viable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's a strange like like you said it it's, does seem like a, like it should be like a cop show episode or something like that. It's not a detective show episode, which which is too bad because it definitely has its moments, and I do like some of the structure of it. Um, I'm I'm just going to bring up a couple things about it. Um, one is so Archie goes to this apartment where the guy who drove the motorcycle for this robbery lived, and now he's dead, and his mm-hmm. wife is there, and the three goons are there and michael pataki's there and they have like enough italian food like catered italian food for like 20 people so there yes. must have been and it looks pretty good from what we see of it um so there must have been um there must have been other people there i guess or they like leftovers that could be it um <laughs> probably that's probably it because a lot of that stuff it'll taste better like on the second time when you warm it up sure. um so uh but th- but there's a weird moment in that scene where Archie is, I and I thought Archie was trying to do something clever, where like Archie is standing in the door with Michael Pataki's character, and he says something like, um, "I forget, I forget the guy's name. Um, uh, I didn't write down the the guy, the guy, uh, the 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 motorcycle guy who got killed. Sorrento? Does that sound right? I think um, that could be his name. Yes. And and there's there's something on the lines of where um, he's talking to Michael Pataki and they're kind of yeah. half whispering, not quite half whispering. And then Archie starts to go off on this thing like, well, Sorrento, he was just a two bit punk. He wasn't da da da. And he starts talking like this. And of course, you you hear over at the table, which is like ten feet away, hey, what is he saying about Vinny or whatever his name was? Don't talk about my husband like that. Well, he was just a two bit punk. And, and then suddenly Archie turns and these three guys are coming to beat him up. And I thought Archie was like doing something there. I thought he was doing something clever, but he's not. For some reason, like 10 feet yeah. away from the wife of this guy who died, sitting with his three huge brothers, cousins, or whatever, he just starts <laughs> insulting this guy really loudly. And you think it's meant to be like he's he's like, he's going to be like, ha ha ha, I did that because I wanted to see which one of you had the best hearing. Or something, you, 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 you yeah. expect something, <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. not. It's not, because the moment the three guys come towards him, Archie immediately runs away and takes off like crazy. It's like, Archie, why did you why did you do that? You're, you, when he's telling Michael Pateki, he's acting like no one can hear them. But everyone can hear them. So I didn't quite understand what that was meant to be. It's an oddly blocked scene. Yes. Because... you're right they're in the same room and they're not that far away from each other there's a table Mm. and a couch there's a couch and a table I think and they're all kind of gathered around and the wife's there and they're standing next to the door but they're talking pretty much in this tone of voice yes exactly so you can totally hear if you're sitting across over there uh, you know like 20 feet away Mm -hmm. uh it, it is odd because, like you said, it does seem like he's trying to set it up to be like, ah, I knew that you would take the bait. Do this, yes, ah, I'm saying, you know, mm-hmm. but no. 
Yes, like, whoever, you know, I knew if you put down that great ZD, that meant you're implicated or something like that, because I wouldn't have put it down. You know, so, But it isn't, he just ends up seeming a bit dumb. And so then when they chase him out of the house and they're all leaping around the car, which gets, I mean, he almost, like, he almost hurts them badly in and around the car. Um, yeah. but, but when that happens, it's sort of like, Archie, why did you do that? You were leaving. All you, all you could have done was, it's just, it's just. I mean, I don't know if he was trying to rile up Pataki's character, maybe, and he just the others heard him. But the volume he's talking at, that ain't, that ain't working. So that that was just a, a weird scene. And like you said too, the 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 weird thing about it being that none of those people are suspects. Yes, Michael Pataki yeah. does something unpleasant in the episode. Um, uh, but he, that doesn't make him a suspect for all the killing and everything. And why would he be? Because the killer killed their their cousin, their brother, their whatever. That almost yeah. completely leaves them out because there's there's no way. Look at how close knit they are. There is no way that one of those guys would have killed the husband of the woman who they're sitting with. Having oh, wait, that, meal. That, ex- that explains all the food. That was his portion. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Uh, so so that was one word, and then there was one other thing which I've completely forgotten now. Mm, what? Uh, oh no, no that that was. Um, so he goes to talk to the main rich guy who's being very, you know, who's sitting there with his wine and his 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 meal, and he's talking to Archie. And yes, Goodwin, Goodwin. Why not call him Archie? Why do you have to do that? Um, that, that to me, to me, that's very much like a thing from the Wolf novels, circa thirty forty, thirties forties. But like in the in the eighties, I don't know. You think it would have been a little calmer on that, I guess. But I don't. I honestly don't know. But um, and and there's just this weird. Well, I thought it was slightly odd. Where um, uh, can, can I go to the library and just have a look there at your safe and such? Oh yes, of course, down the hall. Um, but please don't touch anything. You know, I'm a collector, and uh, you know, I don't like people touching the stuff. And he's, I put my hands in my pockets, and of course, the guy doesn't think that's amusing. Um, and so Archie turns and begins walking away and then he walks down the hall and he meets up with that guy's wife and the insurance guy they talk for a bit they look at the safe they talk for a bit more and then the the head rich guy walks in with his I think he's got a bottle of wine still or a glass of wine maybe he has a bottle um, he has a glass of wine and he walks in and says something oh you're still here Goodwin and so I went back and looked uh, Archie puts his hands in his pockets and turns away from the guy at approximately 11 minutes and 3 seconds into the episode. It is approximately 12 minutes and 30 seconds when the guy comes and says, oh, you're still here. So it's been less than a minute and a half <laughs> since Archie went down the hall to examine the crime scene, and this guy is still amazed that Archie's still there. Hey, he's a busy man. He's a busy man. He's a busy man. <laughs> but that's always, it's, I saw that today. I was watching that today. I said, oh, you're still here, Goodwin. And I thought, he's been there like a, two minutes. And I was like, less than a minute and a half. Give the guy, give the guy a moment if he's there to try to help out. Um, oh. <laughs> and so so what, what else do you have on this one? Well, okay, the only thing I, the thing I have is, and this was something that I noticed for about mm, 75% of the episode, and I don't know if you did, and maybe it's just me, but I, and I, and I researched this. I tried looking this up on the, on, on the internet to see if there was any word of this. Did you notice that, uh, Lee Horsley, for most of the episode, seems like he's talking with his teeth clenched? You know, and I, I was I, like, did he break his jaw or oh, something? And maybe they ha- he was his jaw was wired shut because oh, if you watch his dialogue, he kind of 
his mouth kind of opens a little bit and his teeth are clenched together and he looks like he's um he's looped okay you know? now i i you know there were a few moments where i thought something seemed a little off but i didn't spot it like you did i'm i'm interested to go back and have another look yeah then there, you know i'm watching it now and i'm watching it now and there is there is he is kind of talking with his mouth kind of mostly sort of closed like this as his, his, his um his teeth are kind of staying still like huh interesting yeah interesting. I'm, I'm glad i'm not the only one because i thought i was going nuts i was looking at it like because you know i mean lee horsley can be like a fairly animated mm-hmm. uh when he's talking and everything and i was watching this the whole time and his mouth was close like this when yeah. he's talking but he doesn't sound like that uh-huh. and they it looks like they dubbed him he, he dubbed his voice later over his i don't know like like i said if he had a dental surgery or something but mm. <laughs> he definitely yeah, seems like something's up there i don't know Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, that's something to look for, folks. You you write back to us. Tell what tell us what you thought of Lee Horsley's um, jaw. Um, so yeah. Me, I, it just oh. it just struck me. I was watching. Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on? What is? Why is he doing that with his mouth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there he strange. really is know. kind of doing that. So almost, almost like his his lower jaws is like his lower jaws maybe a little bit further out than it should be or something. Just kind of sitting there still. And he's kind of moving lips around it or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Huh. All right. Well, there you go, folks. Something to something to look for when you sit down and watch this episode that I've forgotten the name of. The Blue Ribbon Bouquet. Hostage. Ba- hostage. <laughs> yes. I don't know where Blue Ribbon Hostage came. Blue Ribbon Bouquet came from. Um, so um, what else do you have on this one? I'm just going to make a scan through my notes. I, I think I've covered. I've yacked over everything I have here. Yeah, I, th- I think you've covered everything I had too. Yeah, overall, I think it's I think it's a great episode for about three quarters of it. Uh, the ending, unfortunately, is a dud, and there there are a lot of scenes that are, and this this I guess maybe you can spot that it's not quite proper sort of well I don't I don't want to say proper near well, but there are a bunch of scenes like without Archie in it at all. You know, and Archie is the narrating guiding force in the book, so generally he's there. So there are a bunch of scenes without him in it where he would not be gaining information, you know, from what's going on there. But um, but generally those scenes are between Mr. Garbage and his wife, and those are sweet scenes, <laughs> I think. So it's funny, I, like you said, I wish maybe if the episode had been like a 75-minute episode and they just had another 10 minutes, 8 minutes to just flesh out, flesh out the suspects a bit more, and maybe one more scene with the garbages, because I think they're sweet. So... <laughs> <laughs> the garbages. <laughs> so, any any uh, final thoughts on this one? No, I, I I think we're really in agreement on it. I I I think it's 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 fairly entertaining mm-hmm. for the majority of it, and then just that that ending was just it was just kind of a, a big nothing. It it, yeah. it was like oh yeah, it's that guy. Yeah, that's pretty much what I figured. Yeah, yeah. okay, <laughs> yeah. And they and the way they and the way they um you know, like we said, they give us a lot of information, some of which we can glean from the episode and some of which just comes in brand new. Which isn't yeah. really the way we should be doing it. You can do that like a cop show, which isn't a mystery. You know, you can have like, Hey, we did this at the last minute and discovered this and in a cop show that's fine. But in a mystery you can't you shouldn't really be pulling business like that. I guess let's uh Tim, where where can we find you online? Uh well uh, you can find me and my co-host uh, Kelly Hogaboom on Beauty, the Beast, and the Bees, where we discuss uh, mostly bee films. Uh, and our website is bbnbs.net. 
And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and our Twitter feeds. Excellent. Thank you again. And, uh, yeah, next time, the last episode. Oh, <sighs> sigh. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Let me, here, I'm going to give you a little blast of music. I'll be on the other side and we will wrap up this episode of the show. Listen to this. All right, everyone. That was episode 98 of Avengers Super Train. Next episode, we finish Nero Wolf and continue on the air and continue Auto Man. What's next? I'm not going to tell you. Do I know? Oh, you bet your sweet baby I do. Let me see. Where are we online? At uh, Super Train 1 on Twitter. Eventually Super Train on Facebook, Eventually Super Train You can email me at Danny D A N N Y S L A C K S at yahoo.com, Danny Slacks. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And uh, be good to yourselves, huh? Would you please? And um, I'm just going to play you a little of this to see you out. I'll see you in a few weeks. See you at episode 99. Here we go. Have you seen a little white duck with an orange beak and a little pink bow around its neck? Its name is Doodles.